Good evening, everybody. Good evening. I've got my Bible opened up to the very front page, Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 is where we're going to begin. Lots of Bible this evening. We work together in the Scriptures. We'll be in the Old Testament, be in the New Testament, and bounce back and forth all throughout our time together tonight as we spend these next few minutes in the pages of inspired Scripture. It's great to see everybody tonight. I'm glad that you're here. Glad to have guests with us once again. Appreciate so much uh, your presence tonight. And pray that all that we're doing tonight is encouraging to you, but most of all that it's bringing glory and honor to our Father who is in heaven. Let's begin in Genesis chapter 1. I'm reading here in verse number 1, a verse that probably many of us can quote from memory. There the Bible begins with the words, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That passage, right at the very beginning of the book, announces to us God's creation. Let me ask you, what is your reaction to all of the headlines that say that God's creation isn't doing so well these days? That the rainforests are being cut down? That fragile ecosystems are suffering damage? That wildlife habitats are shrinking? That oil reserves are running dry. That animal species are more and more on the endangered list or maybe even extinct altogether. Or what about that big hole in the ozone layer that we're being told is getting bigger and bigger by the day? Or what about all the news that we hear on a pretty much regular basis about the very serious threat of global warming? There's all kinds of news on the eco front, and let's be honest, most of it is not very good. How do you feel about that? How do you react to all of that? Uh, More specifically, as a Christian, what is your response to all of the environmental concerns that are brought up in our world today? The truth of the matter is, the environment and the issues that are associated with the environment have long become the turf of the tree-hugging hippies and the far-left liberals So for a lot of us, as a result, environmental concerns, eh, that's hardly a front burner issue or item for us. We hear things on the news and we tend to just eh, shrug our shoulders in a lack of concern and we just kind of go about our daily affairs. In fact, a lot of us just maybe blow them off entirely. We say that all the media is making that up. Fake news, fake news. That's not legitimate. Don't pay attention to that. But again... Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 says that the earth is God's creation. He made this world. And so maybe the real question should not be, how do I react to all the bad news about the environment? Maybe the real question is, what is God's reaction to how we as human beings are treating His creation? This evening I'm preaching on a requested topic And I am preaching on something that I never thought that I would preach on. I do want to talk to you tonight about about the environment. And again, I never thought that I would preach a sermon on this subject. I never thought that I would preach about environmental issues or ecology. But then I did some studying and I came to realize that the word ecology is a combination of a couple of Greek words. The word eco, meaning house... And then the word logi, which means to study. Put it together, it means the study of the house. And indeed it is. It is the study of the house 
that God built and that you and I presently reside in. And while I really have no desire whatsoever to become some sort of radical environmentalist, I sure don't want to sound this evening like some kind of a doomsday preacher. Recycle, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I don't want to do that tonight. On the other hand, I don't want to just blow all of this off. I don't want to become indifferent to God's creation. And certainly I don't want to mistreat it or to abuse it. What I want, what I think you want, is to be informed by the Bible about this house that God has made. I want to understand what God thinks about His creation. And then I want to fine-tune my thinking to be in harmony with God's thinking on this. I want to better understand then how I can honor God in all that I do. And yes, that includes even how I interact and relate to the physical environment of this world. And so this evening, the pulpit is going green. Or at least we'll talk about whether it should go green as we talk about three biblical principles that will help us to think godly and biblically about the earthly home that we currently inhabit. And that all just begins by really understanding, really digging in to the fundamental truth that's expressed in Genesis 1 verse 1, and that is that God is the creator of everything. We have to start there. Unlike people who subscribe to the general theory of evolution... We believe that this earth and everything that is in it, it all came into existence by the mighty hand of God. We believe that there is intelligent design evident in our world and that points us to the logical conclusion that there must be an intelligent designer. And we believe that that intelligent designer is the God that we can read about in the pages of the Bible. In Colossians chapter 1 and verses 16 and 17... The Apostle Paul really kind of just expounds upon that very first verse of Genesis 1.1. In Colossians 1.16 and 17, speaking of the magnitude of God's creation, there Paul says, Colossians 1.16 and 17, For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, both visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. I want to just submit to you right up front that it is only when we accept the reality and the truth of that passage and others like it, only when we accept the reality of a Creator who is separate and apart from His creation, only then are we going to be in a position to start to understand our responsibility toward the environment. Now, a lot of times we make that point, we just kind of stop there, but I actually want to dig a little bit deeper with that. I want to break that out in a few different directions. I'm going to guess that all of us knew, we knew that before we even got here this evening, that God is the creator of everything. We've known that ever since we were little kids. But how about we, how about we break that out in three directions? First of all, God is the creator of everything, but what that means is, is that means that God owns all of creation. You ever just think about that? God is the owner and proprietor of all that we see here. He owns everything. Look with me in the Psalms, please. First of all, in Psalm 24. In Psalm 24, let me stitch together two or three passages in the Psalms. In Psalm 24, look in verse 1. 
There, David says, Psalm 24, verse 1, The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. Jump ahead in the Psalms to Psalm 89. In Psalm chapter 89, look in verse 11. In Psalm 89 and verse 11, the psalmist as he speaks out to God and praises God, he says, the heavens are yours. The earth also is yours. The world and all that is in it, you, Lord, you have founded them. One more in this connection, in Psalm 104. In Psalm 104, look in verse 24. In Psalm 104, in Psalm 104 and in verse 24, O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom have you made them all the earth is. The earth is full of your creatures. God owns everything. And I must tell you, I think we need to think about that more. That we are living on God's dirt. We are breathing God's air. We are eating God's critters. We are God's creation. We belong to Him. We live in this house that He made. And let's remember, it is His house, not ours. And when we understand the ownership that God exercises over His creation, then I think we can understand, secondly, that God made all of creation for His enjoyment. You know, I point that out because sometimes, and I'm guilty of this, Sometimes we treat this world and this earth like, like it's just our big playpen. God gave us all these toys on this earth and He just made it just for us to have a big old time down here. It's all for us and so we can just do whatever we want with it. It's just all about us. And of course, biblically speaking, that's just not true at all. Are you still there in Psalm 104? Drop down to verse 31. In verse 31, the psalmist says, May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in His works. Think about that. God rejoices. He finds joy even in His creation. Look all the way at the end of the Bible in Revelation, please, in Revelation 4. In Revelation chapter 4, look in verse 11. In Revelation 4 and in verse 11, here the... Living creatures, they're shouting out and saying these things of praise to God. Verse 11, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. One translation actually says, By your desire all things were created. The old King James says, For thy pleasure all things were created. Think about that. God takes Pleasure. He finds enjoyment in His creation. And in fact, if you were to just stop and survey God's creation, what you'd come to realize is that there are actually a lot of things in this world that God created that, in all honesty, really don't have much to do with us. There are certain animals, for example, that we really can't put them to work for manual labor. They're not good for food. They're really not even edible at all. And really, they just don't seem to serve a whole lot of purpose for us. But but they're there. That We can't deny that. God put them there. There are creatures down in the far depths of the sea, in the deepest parts of the ocean. There are creatures in the furthest recesses of the wild jungles of this world that really just don't benefit us in any kind of way. You think about... 
Think about a giraffe. What can you do with a giraffe other than, I don't know, sit and look at it, take your kid to the zoo and just watch them all day? You can't put a giraffe to work plowing your field, can you? I've never seen anybody go into McDonald's and say, hey, I'll have a double giraffe burger with cheese, please. We're not doing that with giraffes, but guess what? God created giraffes nonetheless. And as the Bible points out in these couple of passages, if for no other reason, God made giraffes for His enjoyment. God just gets delight in seeing giraffes on this earth. And when we recognize that, that God delights in His handiwork, then thirdly, that ought to cause us to recognize... That God cares and He provides for all of His creation. You know, I said a second ago, I, I confess, I have a tendency of thinking that creation's really, it's really just all about me. It's all about human beings, about God. God really only cares about humankind. God really, God really isn't that concerned about the critters and the bugs and the trees and the oceans and all of that kind of stuff. God put all that stuff here for us, right? But would you find Genesis chapter 9, please? Look in Genesis chapter 9. Did you know that God made a promise to animals? God certainly made some promises to humans. Did you know God made a promise to animals? In Genesis chapter 9, look in verse 9. Genesis chapter 9, verse 9. God said to Noah and to his sons, He said, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. Notice this verse 10 now. This covenant's also with every living creature that is with you. The birds, the livestock, every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. Think about that. The Lord cares deeply about the animals so much... That this covenant He made with Noah, He also made the animals partners in that covenant. I want you to know though, this is not the only passage that discusses God's love for the animals. Look in Deuteronomy 22, for example. In Deuteronomy chapter 22, it's just a small sampling of some of the many laws that God ordained that demonstrate that He has care even for the animal kingdom. In Deuteronomy 22, look in verse 6. In Deuteronomy 22, verse 6, the law said, If you come across a bird's nest in any tree or on the ground, with young ones or eggs, and the mother sitting on the young or on the eggs, you shall not take the mother with the young. Hey, don't go messing with mama bird. God's allowed for some protection for mama bird there. We'll see that again. Find the book of Jonah, please. Look in Jonah chapter 4. Bible study Friday night, and we was talking about Jonah, and we talked about this very point. In Jonah chapter 4, you remember the story? Jonah is ready to see the city of Nineveh just nuked and destroyed. And when God doesn't just immediately unleash those fireworks on Nineveh, Jonah sulks. He goes out and he starts pouting. And so God comes to Jonah there at the very end of the book, Jonah 4 verse 11. God says to him, Jonah, I didn't want to nuke Nineveh. In fact, I have pity on them because there's more than 120,000 there who do not know their right hand from their left. That could be a reference to children or it may just be a reference to people who are just ignorant. But notice the last statement there. What else is in Nineveh that I had pity on? There is also much cattle. Daphne, hallelujah. Talk to Daphne afterwards. She'll tell you about hallelujah. 
When God looked down at Nineveh, He didn't just see the people, certainly He did, but He also saw the animals as well. Let me give you one more illustration of that. Look in the New Testament in Matthew chapter 10. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus discusses these matters in verse 29. In Matthew chapter 10, look in verse 29. Jesus says there, Matthew 10 verse 29, He says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. The passage tells us that God knows about the animals. God cares for each and every one of them, even an animal that we might consider very insignificant and worthless, even an animal as common as a sparrow. But you know what? It's not just humans. And it's not even just the animals that God cares about. Did you know that God cares for the land? Look in the book of Leviticus, please, in Leviticus 25. God cares for the earth itself, for the vegetation that springs forth from it. In Leviticus 25, as part of the law that was given to the Israelites, there's some regulations given about the use of the land. In Leviticus chapter 25, I'm reading here beginning in verse 2. Leviticus 25 verse 2, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land that I give you, the land shall keep a Sabbath, that is, a rest to the Lord. For six years you shall sow your field, and for six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather in its fruits. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. You see there, the land was actually to have a year, a whole year of rest. The principle here of crop rotation, that the ground ground was to remain fallow for that period of time. That might kind of shock us, but I'll just say it. God cares even for the land. God has a deep care and interest in His creation. He takes great enjoyment in His creation. And why? Because it's His. It belongs to Him. He made it. It's somewhat like maybe a, like a painter. Imagine a painter who has painted this beautiful and marvelous masterpiece. And that painter would certainly be insulted. If someone came and viewed that painting and, eh, so what? They didn't appreciate it. They just kind of looked at it and shrugged their shoulders and walked on by. And certainly that painter would be very unhappy if somebody came along and just started defacing his paint, just throwing a bunch of paint on top of what he's made. In much the same way, God has created a masterpiece. And it should come as no surprise to us that the Lord would be deeply offended that anyone would not appreciate and admire the work of His hands and stand in awe of His glory and His power and His wisdom as evidenced in creation. And furthermore, I think it is safe to say that God would be very unhappy if someone were to purposely to deface or to try to destroy or mistreat that masterpiece. If we have respect for God, then we must have respect... For His creation. But we can't stop there. There is a second principle that we need to remember along these lines. Because even though a respect for God's creation, that's a good thing. That needs to be the starting point. We need to remember, secondly, that creation creation is not of the utmost importance. God has designed His creation in such a way that tells us that this world 
is not and cannot be the ultimate. You know, I like many of you, I marvel at God's creation. It is an awesome wonder to behold and to be a part of, especially now as we're fixing to get into spring, already driving out as I was driving by the mall the other day and seeing all the buds there, the beautiful white buds on those trees that are down across that line. Hattie was pointing out at them and I asked her, I said, who made those things? God made those things. And I said, that's right. And it's beautiful what the Lord has made. And there are passages in the Bible that speak about how when we look at God's creation, it ought to point us to the Lord. Think about Romans 1. Or Psalm 19 or Psalm 139. Those passages say that when we look at the things that are in the created world, we're able to observe, at least in some small way, the majesty and the power of our great God. It causes us to recognize that there is a Creator. And I never tire of seeing that. Whether I'm looking at a beautiful snowfall that's blanketed across my front yard, or whether it's seeing the sun shining brightly and beautiful on a day like this, or maybe whether it's seeing just a little bit of dewdrops glistening on a spider web. Funny thing about Kentucky weather, I saw all of those things just this week. But I never tire of being reminded of the greatness of our God. But have you noticed something about creation? As beautiful and wonderful and awesome as it is, it's wearing out. Ever thought about that? It is. The rivers are leveling the mountains little bits, tiny increments at a time. Trees grow strong and tall and large, but eventually, eventually they die, and they rot, and they corrode, and they fall over. The glaciers at the North Pole, we can't deny it. Those things are starting to melt away. Why, even the sun, with all of its energy that it provides, if Jesus should tarry long enough, if science is right about this, the sun isn't going to last forever. Our sun would go dark. You don't have to look at the outside creation in order to understand that. Why, just, just look at yourself. What about your physical body? Your physical body, it ages, it gets feeble, it gets weak, it gets wrinkled, it turns gray, it gets broken down, and then ultimately what happens? Ultimately we die. The Bible tells us why that is. Would you go back to the beginning again? Look in Genesis again. In Genesis chapter 3, In Genesis chapter 3, some dramatic events take place that change man's relationship with God as Adam and Eve bring sin into this world. And part of that change is reflected in a change in our environment, in the way that the world functions and operates and how we relate to the world and how the world relates to us. In Genesis chapter 3, look in verse 17. Genesis 3, verse 17, to Adam God said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. Verse 19, By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust. And to dust you shall return. Our environment, it is amazing and it is wonderful, but as amazing and wonderful as it is, it is not perfect. It is subject to futility. It is subject to bondage because our world has been tainted by sin. In fact, Paul echoes those thoughts in Romans the 8th chapter. Would you look in the New Testament? In Romans chapter 8, as Paul discusses the optimism 
of looking forward to better things, he says in Romans chapter 8, look in verse 19. In Romans 8 and verse 19, that the creation, the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it in hope. In hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and to obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Creation is longing for a better day. Creation is longing to be set free from that bondage. And what all of that tells us is that creation is not perfect like it was in the very beginning when God started all of this. Creation is not of greatest importance. And it is for that reason that we read what we read in 2 Peter chapter 3. Would you find 2 Peter chapter 3? Because there Peter tells us that there is a great renovation that is coming. In 2 Peter chapter 3, instead of telling us that we ought to preserve creation, because that, that's the most important thing. You need to take care of this earth and recycle and do all of that stuff. Instead, Peter tells us that creation, the material, physical world and universe, it's going to be burned up. In 2 Peter 3, beginning in verse 10, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And the heavens will pass away with a roar. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Waiting for, hastening the coming of the day of God. Because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved. And the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. There is coming a day. And that day could be today. But there is coming a day when this earth is going to be absolutely destroyed. And the fact that this world is decaying and dying and it is crumbling apart little bits at a time, I think that ought to point us to that inevitable truth. That means then, practically speaking, that means that even if every single person on the planet started recycling their plastic bottles. If every single person on the planet started driving automobiles that let out zero carbon emissions, if every single person on the planet took the time to plant a tree, even with the very best care on our part, this world's still going to decay. And this world is still going to die and it's still going to be destroyed. This world is not of supreme value. And we need to understand that. And that is why creation and environmental sorts of issues, those things can never be our top priority in life. I know of some Christians who feel very fervently about the environment. And I appreciate it to a degree, to a point. But it's almost like they've got their priorities out of whack. You know, when Jesus asked in Matthew chapter 22, what is the greatest commandment? When He was asked that question... Jesus did not say that the greatest commandment is to save the whales. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul. And so in a time when our world seems to have just gone really kind of almost overboard, kind of crazy with these green issues, it's important for us to be reminded that it's not all about this world. It is about the God who created this world. Now somebody at this point might be thinking, alright, 
Woohoo! We're off the hook. We don't have to worry about nothing. Don't have to worry about recycling. Don't have to worry about, you know, where we throw our trash. Don't have to worry about any of that kind of stuff. World's gonna be burned up anyway, right? So let's just do whatever we want to with this earth. Well, pump the brakes a little bit. I've got three principles and we need to get that third one now. I want you to please remember thirdly and finally this evening that God has appointed man to be the stewards of His creation. Go back to the beginning again. Look in Genesis chapter 1. I want you to notice what is said to Adam and Eve after God had created them in His image. In Genesis chapter 1, look in verse 27. In Genesis 1 and in verse 27, so God created man in His own image. In the image of God He created him, male and female, He created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over it, over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. It was so. There is no question from reading that passage that humankind, men and women, we are the most important of God's creation. We have been created in the image of God, Genesis 1 tells us. We are the only creatures who have that quality. No other creature can say that about itself. You know, sure, elephants are they are strong. And dolphins, they're pretty smart. And dogs, they're friendly. And mosquitoes are annoying. It's true. But no other creature on the face of this earth bears the image of God except except for us, except for human beings. We and we alone have an eternal soul that will reside somewhere for all time. And we and we alone have the ability to choose, to make decisions, to decipher right from wrong. We have the ability to control our actions. We've been made in the image of God. And it is because of that that God says in Genesis chapter 1 that man has been given dominion. Dominion. That's an important word. Being made in the image of God means that we've got some authority, but it also means we've got some responsibility. And this is exactly where that idea of stewardship comes into place. Because we have been entrusted with overseeing God's creation. That idea of being a steward means to be a trustee. Something's been placed in your care, and now you've got to do what you're supposed to do to take care of that thing. If you continue on in Genesis, drop down in chapter 2, look in verse 15. Because you'll notice there that Adam, Adam was charged with some things. He was entrusted with some things. He was given the task of taking care of the garden. Genesis 2 verse 15, The Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Adam had responsibility. God gave Adam a job. His responsibility was to preserve and to protect and to try to maintain that environment in which he lived. Adam was not granted just a free-for-all kind of license to abuse the garden, to just kind of squeeze it dry of everything he could get out of it for his pleasure. He was not given the authority to act as a lord and a tyrant over the creation. No. 
Adam was made to be a steward of the garden. And we too, we are stewards of God's creation. We are simply caretakers of God's house. Remember, we don't own the house. God owns the house. He's just loaning it to us. We're renting it from the Lord, if you will. And what that means is, is that means that we are not free to exploit it or to trash it or to destroy it to suit ourselves. No, being a steward means that we are temporarily taking care of God's house. Now, I need to say here, because I want to make sure that we don't kind of go to extremes here. I want to say that we can use nature for our benefit. The Lord has given us that right. In Matthew chapter 6 and in verse 26, for example, in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 26, Jesus says there in the Sermon on the Mount, He says that humans, we are of more value than the birds of the air. In other words, we have the right of way to use what is around us for our good and for our benefit. Like, for example, using creation for, for food or for our clothing, or for our shelter, or the other basic needs of life and the things that we need to function from day to day. And that's an important thing to say, especially in a day and time when people are crying out about animal rights. I see so many ridiculous things by the group like PETA and other groups like that. There are even groups that are screaming and hollering about vegetable rights, the rights of plants and trees and the stuff that we eat. Listen very carefully. Man is to have dominion over the rest of creation. But as we exercise that authority, and as we do use nature for our benefit, we need to remember that we are going to have to give an answer someday for how we used God's creation. You know, we talk about the principle of stewardship in lots of different ways. You know, if you've been blessed with lots of money and material wealth, You're going to have to give an answer one day to the Lord for how you stewarded that. Those of us that are parents, we talk about how we are stewards of our our children. God's given them to us, and it's our job to take care of them. Be those caretakers. Be the trustees that He's made. We're going to have to give an answer for how we did that. In the very same way, we will have to give an answer for why we have stewarded this earth, this earthly home, this temporary home that God has allowed us to live in. That principle of stewardship then... It carries with it great responsibility, doesn't it? How have we managed God's house? I think about in Luke chapter 16. In Luke 16, in the parable of the unrighteous steward, we read about a man who had been wasting his master's possessions. The master comes home in verse 2 of Luke 16, and he asks the question, What have you done with my possessions? Give an account of your stewardship. And I wonder, I wonder how we one day are going to answer God for the stewardship that we have exercised over His physical creation. Honestly now, if it is true that the earth is getting warmer because of our pollution and because of some of our bad habits, we can't point at the zebras and blame them for that. God, they're the ones who's causing all this global warming. No, we're not going to be able to do that. We can't pass the buck on that. If there's toxic waste in the ocean, it's not like we're going to be able to say, now Lord, the tuna, the tuna is responsible for all that garbage and filth that's in the ocean. No! Who's going to have to give an account for that? We are. When Christ returns, 
And when this earth is delivered back into His hands, rusted and corrupted and polluted and stained and ugly, I just wonder, to what degree will you and I be held responsible for such poor stewardship? I will confess to you that up until recently, I studied and thought about this, I really had not given this a whole lot of consideration. It didn't really dawn on me that God might actually care if I roll my window down when I'm driving down the road and throw my bubblegum wrapper out and just let it pollute the grass. I've done that. I'm confessing that. And it never dawned on me that, you know what, the Lord might actually care in the morning when I'm brushing my teeth that I just let the water just run and run and run for minutes on end just needlessly. I realize that those examples are, those are relatively small things. But I wonder if those small things, if those might actually reflect a very arrogant attitude on my part. But you know what? I've got dominion around here. I can just do as I want to do. And all those tree huggers, they're just a bunch of nut jobs. Who's paying attention to them anyway? I can do whatever I want down here to suit me. That is not the attitude that's going to bring about good stewardship. That's not consistent with a lifestyle that honors and glorifies the Lord. I don't want to get my priorities out of whack. I don't want to place environmentalism above much more important and weightier matters. But at the same time, I don't want to be guilty of poor stewardship. Maybe the verse that helps us with all of this is in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and in verse 8. Here's a verse that I think kind of helps us to maintain some balance. gives us the right perspective. In 1 Timothy 4 and verse 8, Paul says to Timothy, he says, For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. It holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. I love that verse because it says some important things about our physical bodies. The house that our soul resides in. And Paul says that training and exercising the body, feeding it right and using it right and pumping iron and doing all that kind of stuff, that can be a value. There's some value and some some merit to that. But should we obsess about our bodies? Should we just be consumed with, with dieting and exercising and putting on makeup and getting the right kind of clothes and doing everything that we can do to prevent the aging process? No, absolutely not. By that same token, does that mean that I can just abuse my body? Just treat it however I want to treat it? I can mutilate it? I can fill it up with every kind of harmful substance? I can just mistreat it and just don't even care about it? Absolutely not. This is the house that God has given my soul to reside in. What I need with my physical body is I need some balance, don't I? I need to place my priority, first of all, on the spiritual. But I want to do that not to the entire neglect of the physical. And so it is when we talk about the environment. I don't want to obsess about the earth. I don't want to just be consumed, and I'm just thinking all the time, about green issues. I don't want to spend all of my time and all of my energy and all of my resources trying to save the planet. But at the very same time, 
I don't want to be deliberately harmful and destructive to this earthly home and then just brush that off like, well, it just doesn't really matter. Instead, I need to take care of God's creation in whatever corner of the globe I find myself in. I need to take care of that so that I can honor God as His steward, but even more so I can seek to honor God in the ways of righteousness for the benefit of His spiritual kingdom. I'll say again, I'm not a tree hugger. And I don't want to become one. But you know what? If God has care and concern for His creation, and He does, then I also want to demonstrate care and creation, care and concern for His creation too. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created a beautiful place for us to live in while we're here as part of our earthly sojourn. Let's be Let's be a little bit more thankful for that. And maybe this week, let's resolve to be a little bit more mindful of God's glorious creation so that we are not guilty of just foolishly tearing it down. Now, as we extend the invitation of Jesus Christ, I will remind you of the point that we made just a few moments ago from 2 Peter chapter 3 about the fact that this world is coming to an end. Despite man's best stewardship, this world is coming to an end. And that day, the day that the Lord returns, when He comes like a thief in the night, that may be, that may be this very night. Which is why it is absolutely necessary that we be ready, that we be prepared, as Peter talked about in that passage, to be living lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and anticipating the day of His coming. If you're not a Christian, we'd love this evening to help you in being a Christian. Confessing your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord. There's an audience of people you can make that confession to. And as well this evening, repenting and turning from sin and being immersed in water for the remission of all of your past sins. You'll come up out of that water a Christian. And that'll put you into God's family. That'll cause you to be prepared and be ready for that day when the Lord does return. If you are a Christian but you're not living right, brother or sister, you need to get that fixed. You need to repent. You need to take seriously the fact that this world's coming to an end. And lives of holiness and godliness are so necessary as we get ready for that great day. If we can assist someone in any way to serve the Lord or to serve the Lord in a better way, we stand ready to help you right now. Why don't you make your way to the front while we stand and while we sing.